Original content. Content. Compelling discussions. Audio on demand. This is a Podcast 225 production. A new day is upon us. Where the decisions we made yesterday affect the landscape of tomorrow. Today, Today, we talk about it. Discussion, dialogue, and experience all collide on The Clay Young Show. Like that. Thanks, Neil. That's good. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show here at podcast225.com. On the Apple Podcast app, on the iHeartMedia app, and airing weekends on the radio here in Baton Rouge on Talk 107.3. Man, we got a good one on deck today. Going to talk with the superintendent of schools here in East Baton Rouge Parish and a member of the school board, Darius Lannis, and the superintendent is Dr. Cito Narcisse, and a group of education people, business people, they all went to Miami to see what they're doing in Miami-Dade. And it was a best practice trip. They went out to check out what the schools are doing, how they're innovating, how they're engaging kids, how they're performing so highly. And they brought back a lot of great information that you are going to hear about here. But there is also a funny story. So I had Darius on the TV show, uh, what, last week. And we didn't get into this on the TV show. And I can't wait to talk to y'all about it. Because my man did something in Miami that will stick with him forever. And I can't wait to tell you about it. And I'm about to stay right there. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Clay Young, addressing important issues with important people, all on demand. This is podcast225.com and The Clay Young Show. Back with Dr. Cito Narcisse, the superintendent of schools here in East Baton Rouge Parish, and Darius Lannis, who is a District 2 school board representative and is also the executive director, new executive director of 100 Black Men of Greater Baton Rouge. Recently, Dr. Narcisse took a group of educators and business people and invested parties. Uh, they went with the, uh, Dr. Narcisse and his team to Miami to go and do what we call in business a best practice study. They went out and saw what they do in Miami and uh, how the schools work and and what we can do differently here based upon what they are doing there. The trip took place a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and Dr. Narcisse, before we get into the very important uh, information gleaned in Miami and, and talk about the connections made and all of the new ideas that uh, you got back from there, 
Let's begin by talking about Darius Lannis breaking a woman's hip and putting her in the hospital. <laughs> when I heard that story, I said, we didn't do it on the TV show. He was on the show last week. I said, but you know you're doing the podcast, and that's going to be a totally different animal. So, Doc, were you in the room when this and, – and, and so, no, no, hold on. We're not going to say what it is. Darius, set the scene. T tell us what happened. All right, so, you know uh, – I think people don't believe that I know how to cut a good rug, right? Uh -huh. So when it comes down to dancing, I am very rhythmatic. I love the noise. I love the scene. So we just so happened, we were in Miami, right? So we just so happened to go to a Cuban restaurant, and they yeah. had some live music playing. So mm -hmm. as they played, as soon as we walked in, I felt the vibe. So I just walk up near the stage, <laughs> and the guys like the guys that are playing the music, like, okay, my brother. You know, they were getting it started. So uh, I started dancing, and uh, I immediately I pulled one of the hostesses in, and we started dancing, and, man, we had so much fun. So uh, a nice young lady comes up to me, and she says, wow you really look like you know how to dance you mind uh having a dance with me i said absolutely so you know we get into the groove of things and it's it's getting hot we we making it happen on the floor and uh out of nowhere she says that oh my gosh i hurt my hip i'm thinking that you know normally when people tell you that when you're when they're dancing it's because they're a little tired and they just don't want to be rude about it so i'm like okay i'm like you, you sure you're all right you know just kind of you know not taking it too serious so she goes she sits down <laughs> I go outside I, and I draw me a nice hand rolled cigar. Uh, a shout out to Clay, he's the uh, cigar connoisseur in Baton Rouge or aficionado, uh, if I may say. But I go outside and enjoy a good hand rolled cigar. I come back inside and as I pass by her, she says, Man, you really know how to dance, but my hip is hurting. So, you know, again, I'm just thinking this, that it's, that it's, uh, you know, it's just a, a playful joke. Uh -huh. But the next morning I wake up, everybody's like, I can't believe you. It's like, what are you talking about? What happened? What did I do? And they said, you put somebody in the hospital last night. I said, what? Get out of here. Stop playing. So they pulled the phone out, showing me the video when we were dancing. And then they also showed me the video where, like, she was in the emergency room. So wow. I was like, oh, my gosh. Did I really do that? So, long story short, I'm retired from dancing. I'm not dancing again. Doc, don't take Darius with you on any more trips, man. <laughs> no, Look, he revoked you know, all my I dancing did. privileges. <laughs> yeah, I told, I told, uh, I had, I had him sign a document. Right. No more dancing on the trip. Seriously, yes. <laughs> but honestly, man, it was, it was such a great time, and it, honestly, she's okay, and she actually told yeah. me, listen, I enjoyed every minute of that dance. So. You know, it, it was a, it was a, it was a good time, man. And that's the kind of settings that we need to be in whenever we are out and about as a district and just as a community because oh, sure. everyone talked to each other, yeah. everyone was laughing. The pressures of the politics were not inside of the room, and right. I think Dr. Narcisse can speak to that. It was just a really, really a great time and moment for us. Well, well, let's let's start with that. And Dr. Narcisse, why Miami and and why the group you took with you? Well, the first thing is, um, as you know, Miami, uh, I knew the superintendent there, uh, Superintendent Alberto Cavallo. Um, he has been the, one of the longest-running urban superintendents in the United States. has been there for 14 years. And Miami has gone from a failing school district with 330,000 students, uh, poverty rate is over, above 75%, to an A district. Wow. Um, and the work that they've done in terms of innovation and what they've done um, has been, been unheard of. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, I said it's important that, you know, us at Baton Rouge, we have 41,000 plus kids. If a district like Miami can do it, I wanted them to see 
why can't we do it in Baton Rouge? And so I wanted to take folks to go actually see it so they can believe it and see what is the type of work and investment that they've done, not only in their students, but the type of choice options, programs, all the high-quality pieces that they've done where their children have been able to do well. And um, I thought that it was important to do that. I think I was very um, um, thankful that we had a very good cross-section of folks uh, from the multiple agencies, uh, you know, mayor's office, NAACP, um, Arts Council, Chamber. I mean, we just, it was just a community members. I mean, it was just so well-rounded that it allowed us to give people some different lines of perspective to see what it takes to actually get a district to go from um, a struggling district to an A district. Well, give me some examples of, of things that you saw them doing there, and I'll ask you both that question. Some things that you saw there that could be implemented here, both in the immediate future, and then both over, mm -hmm. and then uh, and I guess otherwise over a period of time. Well, the first thing I would say is that you saw was kind of their focus in terms of providing multiple options for families. I mean, you think of an option whether it's you know the arts or. Um, uh, specifics in terms of environmental magnet programs to, you know, STEM programs. I mean, you name it, they had it, right? And so it gave families an opportunity to choose. Um, and they were really um, strategic about where those options were and how they engaged families within those options. That, that was one of the first things I noticed. The other part was just the engagement that they had with the community in designing their district. Um, you know, Miami, just like, you know, Baton Rouge, very proud of their city. And they worked really hard on trying to figure out where the places that they can expand and innovate on based on their actual resources that they have within their city, uh, something that we're trying to do. I mean, we are a city where, uh, you know, from textile to construction to, you know, arts, all those things play in our city. So how they bridge that gap from a workforce development place space um, was really important, and so one of the folks would see this is how a city does it. And the other part I thought was something that we really can do pretty quickly, because, you know, the focus was to bring the arts, you know, uh, get, get, get the um, staff, um, the, the delegation to see how they expanded their arts district, connecting it to neighborhoods and communities, was to show what that pattern would actually look like. Um, we saw much more than just that. Um, we had an opportunity to see a lot of variation and stuff, but those are the things that stuck out pretty quickly, and, and the, the thing I like the most is they work with a sense of urgency. They don't wait. Uh, they, they pretty much said, hey, once they were able to get their feedback, engage, they just started executing that, and I think that that's a space I feel like uh, we, we can learn in Baton Rouge to move, move the work forward quicker. Uh, yeah, I think for me, you know, you can see all the pretty buildings all you want to, but that does not move the needle for student achievement. The thing that sold me was when I saw the students and how engaged they were. They had completely mm -hmm. bought into everything that the superintendent and his team and the whole district had provided to them. Mm -hmm. And immediately I'm thinking to myself, man, we can replicate this. We can do this in, in Baton Rouge. And, you know, having uh, those conversations with Dr. Narcisse, you know, he was the one that brought it to my attention saying, you know, when you think about a district, you know, obviously Miami is the fourth largest school district in the country, have over 300,000 students. So obviously their overhead is going to be a lot more, which means their accountability is going to be streamlined, streamlined at a totally different level. Right. But understanding that 
we are a much smaller district. It should be easier for us to do things like that here. And just going there and seeing how these programs have just turned around and become so robust. Literally, this district a few years ago had a, uh, a graduation rate just above 50%. Today, they are over 90%. Wow. You know what I mean? Like that's, That means nine wow. out of 10 students are graduating wow. in Miami-Dade County. Wow. So when I see that, it's the student achievement for me, man. Right. It, it, it's their buy-in, and I'm like, we can do this here. And when you think about the facilities, right, they are creating class, class, I mean, state-of-the-art facilities for a fraction of what we're paying. For us, it's all about legacy and want to have the biggest buildings and have our names on them. For them, it's about providing students with safe environments that are mm -hmm. next level. Literally, they're, they're yeah. designing buildings okay. that are above our scale for $15 million, mm -hmm. where on average we're doing it for 25 to $35 mm -hmm. million. Dollars. So when you think about it on a large scale, think if we just went back and we just reassessed our facilities plan or, or, or our tax plan and we said, okay, what if we could duplicate and make buildings that look like that now? We have so much money left on the back end. Mm -hmm. We can service every single district in East Baton Rouge Parish right. and still have money left over to provide what those students need inside of the classroom. Did they talk about how they were able to create that engagement with the students that you saw? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was just several different programs. One, they took a holistic approach towards uh, attracting families. Okay. They did not just focus on students. They focused on the whole family. Two, they focused mm -hmm. also on creating neighborhoods or community school models. So literally, uh, when we talked about it, you know, and, and I oftentimes ask Dr. Narcisse about this uh, at the board meetings as it regards transportation. If you had to guess, in a, a city as big and as robust as Miami-Dade County, how long do you think the average time is for a student to be on a bus? Oof, I, don't, I wouldn't want to venture a guess, but <clears throat> 30 minutes? 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Here, our students are on a bus collectively for about two to three hours. Oh, so question, they're up catching buses at 530 in Correct. the morning. Correct. So yeah, I'm like, right. if they can do that there, right. there's no doubt that we can do it here. In a much larger area. Yes, but yeah. they have understood and they have conceptualized and bought into the idea that they can create community school models where the students don't have to opt out and go all the way on the other side of town. Because if you have sustainable models that are propped up on the community's shoulders, that are safe and they are reliable and they are quality schools, high mm. quality, the parents don't have to worry about sending their child on the other side of town. They don't have to worry about putting them on the bus to go, you know, at five o'clock in the morning. No, you right. can wake up at the regular time right. and you can literally walk right from outside of their uh, houses. Dr. Narcisse, we've talked about that around here, as Darius knows, for a while. And the, the main one of the main things is the time kids are up catching a bus in the morning. If they're up catching a bus before six, then they're awake a lot earlier than that. Correct. Uh, two things that he brought up. One, the student engagement that I think was fantastic to hear. And then what he said also about infrastructure cost. It, how it's it's not even even <laughs> and there are bigger districts so what about that yeah i mean uh as as uh, uh board member Landis said like they're doing things almost a fraction of a cost but they're also how they think about buildings are different than how we think about buildings right uh sometimes we think about you know a particular way for construction or you know we got to create this building to be here for a thousand years you know they think about buildings in terms of design spacing conducive of learning. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have a totally different um, structured value. How they do it. They, and I think, like, you know, those are kind of the big things that we learned a lot 
in that conversation. I mean, and even on the, the way the kids should learn. I mean, we walked into a, a school they had called um, iPrep, for example, is one of their uh, performance, high-performing schools. And you walk into this building, and if I tell you this building was like, it was almost like a half office space slash school where, you know, I think you could put any child in there they would want to learn. I mean, they had co-collaboration spaces for how kids learn. They had, um, uh, even in the hallways, you know, you know, it was just like everything was based around how kids would meet, connect. Um, they didn't have doors on, on, on classrooms. Um, uh, there wasn't any doors in terms of classrooms. You could walk into one space to another. Uh, I can't remember the name of that course we saw, but it was a course we saw where there was, a, uh, it was a, almost like an, a joint classroom together so kids can problem solve. It was really great. We went to a one school that was a marine biology school, so they made the school look kind of like a submarine a little bit because uh, they were studying um, 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 the Everglades, which they had an Everglade context so kids can learn about the environment because, you know, they wanted to um, maximize their natural resource mm -hmm. that, that's in that part of the country. I mean, so, like, for us, you know, we're in Louisiana, so our natural resource is water, right? So we should be designing schools where kids can be able to learn about right you know, environmental components. But everything they did was connected to um, kids' connection for workforce development and those pieces, not this very traditional way that we think about schools right now. And, and you can see that from the way they put their curriculum together, from the way they design their building, all those components. And that, and that to me, was really an outside-of-the-box thinking, even how they thought about workforce development, um, how they could think about, you know, we had an opportunity to talk to, like, their... Uh, our chamber, talk to their chamber or their council folks around, you know, how do we create schools that kids can, um, by the time they graduate high school, go right to a job, right? They had a lot of conversations around that. And so, I mean, we walked through a classroom where kids were actually, um, if I remember this right, board member Lance, but it was like, um, one was a future pharmacist, and the kids were in the classroom, like, you know, where you go to a pharmacy and they have to count the the pills that you get or whatever your, um, you know, your uh, uh, doses are for medication. Kids mm -hmm. were doing that. They had one where they were showing kids how to clean teeth with a dentist. I mean, I mean, you can just, you could just see that thing. I mean, it was, it's similar a little bit to what we had at C-Tech yeah. at our school, but they, they, they had, their stuff was more robust, right? Um, and uh, you can see that everybody that you spoke to um, as they would engage with children, and as children were engaging, right, not just, you know, these schools were, uh, you know, they were, they, you could just see the engagement conversations that they would have and how people were connected to it. I mean, it was, it was really good. And we didn't just see this in one school. We saw them almost in every school we went through. So, and it took them years to, you know, get that right, too, right? So it wasn't, you know, just one year and they had it all figured out. But there was a, a collective connection and commitment wanting to make that change so can i speak towards this part the partnerships real fast because i think that was just so important right okay go ahead and i think that actually built in that's what i think really got the students to buy into it okay because at one of the schools that we attended i think dr narcisse just spoke on it it was the marine biology school but they have a unique partnership with florida international university so these students, mm -hmm. before they built the school, the students were already housed on the university's campus. So they right. understood what, it, uh, what responsibility is because at that school, they don't have bells. Mm -hmm. So those students learn, like, when it's time to go to class, it's time to go to class. So my next question was, well, 
What do you do when a student has a behavior issue? They said, we don't have any behavior issues. I'm going to tell you why. Because if you want to cut up, we can send you right back to the school that you came from. Mm. The school right here, we're about learning and we're yeah. about moving the needle. Right. And when I tell you the students were so engaged that when we walked in the classroom, you may have maybe got two haze or, or, or waves, but they were just enthralled Love in the work. It. Another partnership was that a, it was an old technical college that they had converted into a high school. Okay. There were like... Mm -hmm. 25 to 30 different tracks, career tracks that they could choose from. But one of which I want to speak on is the culinary art school. Okay. So in a culinary art class, the students make all the food Oh, you every told me day. that. Yeah, let's talk about that. Every day, the students make the food that every child eats, every staff member eats. Hmm. And it is so sustainable because not only are they getting that certification, right. but... They don't have to go out and use revenues to pay for outside contracts. Right. That money goes right back right. into the community, into those students. Right. Uh, the automotive program, they have, uh, they said it was a demand from several different dealerships. And they mm -hmm. said they cannot find qualified technicians to work on the cars. Right. They said, okay, I tell you what, we'll pay y'all to train them. And then when you're done, we're going to do direct hire. They have a partnership with Toyota. Wow. They have a partnership with Land Rover. Wow. And they have a partnership with, I'm missing one. Um, Toyota, it was uh, Land yeah, Rover. I can't. And it was yeah, one more. But they have three yeah. unique partnerships, and they're doing direct hires from that school. And those students are getting a, a world of experience. But not only that, you would think because it's a technical high school yeah. that those students are not going to the best schools in the country. That's mm -hmm. absolutely wrong. When we walked inside of the uh, graphic design classroom, mm -hmm. these students are going to the Browns, the Yales, yeah. the Harvards, yeah. the, uh, the uh, Carnegie Mellons. Yeah. Like they are really excelling and they are going at like astronomical rates and they're not slowing down. So I'm going to ask you. So I, I know people listening to this have to be listening to this the way I am. And there is one obvious question mm -hmm. that they're probably thinking about. Yep. Why aren't we doing it? Mm -hmm. I, I think... <laughs> Again, I think it's about vision, you know, okay. right? Like I, I hit this all the time when I talk to people, but I think it's so vitally important that people understand how we got here for, you know, in a school district of our size, we cannot afford not to have a vision, but we have not had a strategic plan prior to Dr. Narcisse coming on board. We have not had a strategic plan since 2012. And even in that strategic plan, there were no clear KPIs and KPIs are uh, key performance, key performance indicators, indicators. Yeah. that were none that were built out. So that was no clear vision. That was no road. Yeah. That was no pathway to show us where we were going to take our kids. And now we yeah. see the, re the, the, the direct result of that. Prior to Dr. Narcisse coming on, we had never discussed having a facilities plan. Mm -hmm. The first day he got here, he said, man, I can see a problem y'all have right now. You have all these buildings, but you have no way to manage them because you don't know. First of all, you don't know how much they cost. Right. You don't know the overhead. You don't know your usage rate. I'm like, man, what usage rate? Like, we never thought about this or conceptualized that before. But... Once he put it to paper, it was like, wow, we have all these buildings that we're operating, most of which are operating below half capacity, yeah. but it's still costing us the same cost as though we had filled that building up. And that's been very costly to us. And because we have done that, we've lost dollars. Yeah. You know, think if we could do some around the board consolidating the mergers where these students are now getting first class instruction. Hello. And they are all being blended. When you think about crime inside of the city, part of the reason is too many people are afraid to try to blend neighborhoods. But mm -hmm. the thing is, how in the world are we going to set examples for our kids if we are telling them, okay, you're in the sixth grade, but you can't go to, go to school with somebody in this neighborhood. We're talking about sixth grade, right. man. We ain't talking about high school. Right, right. 
So when we start to do that, we're going to build a cultural piece inside of this community that we never thought about before. Man, I love that passion, Doc, that you hear from him. Man, he's spot on with everything he said. Uh, you know, how do we get there from your perspective? Yeah, well, I mean, it's exactly what Board Member Landon said. I mean, right now we go, we're just going to start executing. We our big, big first um, uh, push right now is to get the Visual Performing Arts School set up. Uh, and after the Visual Performing Arts School, our, our next big move from there is to start looking at particular designs. Uh, engaging community around what are some op options we have. We already started reviewing our facilities review. Uh, there's some tough decisions that we'll have to make around schools to look at where some um, more options that we could put in schools. We're also talking about partnerships, how we start partnering even more with universities and some of the assets we have in the community. Um, I mean, one thing that's really nice about our city is people in our city want to work together to be able to problem solve and get more options out. I think mm -hmm. we just now have to kind of start executing, right? And I think we're in a time where it's, you know, as I told the board and, and we all talk about all the time is like, you know, it's the time for talking is, you know, is no more talking. Let's just go ahead and start executing. Right. And, right. Um, and, and I think the thing about Miami too, which I really liked was um, they don't, they don't waste a lot of time talking about what can't be done. Mm -hmm. They talk about here's what they want to do, and then they start executing to do it, right? Uh, you know, and over time, those things have yield. They knew the more, the more um, options schools they had, the more people were choosing, you know, to come, to come to the school district. The more, you know, more families felt more connected and more options that they would have. And so it's, it was just, it's just a cultural shift that was, in a very different, and I think that we have all the tools to do it. I mean, I was so thankful for all the people that went on this trip because they were all, you know, when they came back, they said, wow, we were even from our foundations to mm -hmm. different folks. They said, man, this can really happen, you know, versus where, you know, it, was, it would just be me talking about it and, you know, because well, I hope I can do it or, you know, let's see what can happen. But, you know, board member Landis, you know, we, we get the opportunity to go see these things to see how we can bring it back and make it work to our context. And I think that, uh, I think the time is now for us to do that. So I have to ask, what is the biggest obstruction or who are the biggest opponents to creating what you are both describing to me right now? Let me answer that. Dr. Narcisse. I think it's our board, you know, and I think that, I have had a part to play in that in the past, but I tried to make that very clear on this trip after seeing what we saw. When we came together and we convened, I said, two things can happen. Mm -hmm. We can take everything that we saw and be very intentional about bringing this to our city, or we can go back to Baton Rouge, act as though everything is all fine and dandy, and then we still don't move the needle. Mm. This is the overarching question that the superintendent in Miami-Dade County brought up that it stuck with me the entire time. He said, the biggest question is, how many students are you willing to lose in the process of trying to get it right? And I was, it, it, I was just dumbfounded. Just, I had to sit back and think about what he said. When you think about it, how many students are we losing in Baton Rouge because we are too afraid to make a change happen. When you think about our graduation rate, mm -hmm. think of, you know, let's, let's talk about black male mm -hmm. students. Mm -hmm. We are 50%, the same place Miami-Dade was when the superintendent took over, 50%. 50% of our black boys are not graduating high school. That mm -hmm. means out of 10, five of them are falling the victim to 
uh, to gaps that we have mm -hmm. created or mm -hmm. we have allowed to happen. And right. it's been perpetuated. When you look at how many students are graduating from high school, black students are graduating from high school with at least a basic uh, 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 credential on a diploma, mm -hmm. you have 48% that don't even have a basic credential on a diploma. That means that they are not employable when they graduate. Right. But their parents send them to schools thinking that they're going to get a better job and live a better life than them. But we have not set them up for that because our vision was not clear mm -hmm. and the road was not set for us to find success for our students. That's powerful. <laughs> uh, that's powerful. And so then what do we do about it? I think we have to be very bold and we have to be very intentional. One thing that the well, superintendent said out there. Up. Oh, they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that people need to be reminded about the people who actually go to work and do what they have to do for our community. They put the politics aside right. for the best and the better needs of our kids. And it's one thing that the, the other superintendent talked about. Uh, he said that when he first got there, he started evaluating schools. Yeah. And he said, why in the world is this person still over this school and it hasn't moved in five years? <laughs> right. So he said he came in. He said he wanted a hell fire. He said that he came in. He fired nine principals because they were not moving the needle. And wow. he said the ones that were actually doing the work, which are assistant principals, he promoted them and moved them up. He said from that. That's when they saw that gradual improvement happen. He said, once he saw the work that those principals had put in, you know what he did? He moved them up again. And he surrounded them around, he surrounded them in his central office. Now you have principals that are, are, are chief of staff that used to be a principal. Right. You have your academic officer or your chief academic officer who used to be a principal right. because he's not only did he evaluate their work, he didn't just take somebody's word for it. He made them work for it for a course of five years. If you can show me that you can move the needle in five years in one of the worst districts in the country, you deserve to be in the role that you're in. Wow. You're getting in a little deep right there because, you know, <laughs> that is a conversation we've had before. Uh, Dr. Narcisse, yourself and myself about the, the way these schools are operating and from a staff level, not not mm. the child level. Correct. From people in the district office, people who are in the principal's office, people at the front of the classroom teaching. You know, that's a whole different thing because that's always that almost always dominates the news. It very rarely is about the child sitting Correct. in the desk. Correct. So then. How do you change that paradigm, what, what Darius just described, to where you keep the talent and maybe help others who shouldn't be there move along to someplace else? I think for, for the first part is we can't micromanage the moves that Dr. Narcisse wants to make, okay. you know, because he has to live and fall by that, right? Yep. So yep. if we contracted him, we have to give him the, the unique opportunities like we gave every other superintendent <laughs> in the past yeah. who, by the way, did not have a performance metrics inside of their contracts. Mm. Dr. Narcisse came in saying, I want KPIs in my contract, so you have something to hold me to. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a different conversation. Oh, yeah. Normally when somebody comes in, they're not screaming, hey, put all of these regulations against me, you right. know, or, or put all these, uh, these benchmarks on me. He said, give me the benchmarks. And I was like, what? Okay, I like that. Hold me accountable. You know, so again, I think it falls back on our board. Yeah. It's not so much the superintendent, it's not so much the parents, it's not the teachers. Because we have to we have to buy into his vision yeah. because when we buy into his vision, our constituents buy into, buy into that vision. And our constituents are parents, families, and students. 100%. Dr. Narcisse, how do you make a connection with the parents and the students that Darius is talking about here? Because they are the stakeholder. They're the primary customer. How do you get them to trust the system again? Yeah, I mean, I think the way you get them to trust the system is by, one, continue to connect with them, right? Uh, and two, continue to provide them with options. And three, continue to provide uh, customer service support. I mean, when you look at our strategic plan, 
Um, I credit the board and even our, our staff. You know, we talked about the four things that are the most important thing for us to move to help families and communities to feel confident about us was one, was, you know, making sure operationally we function at a very high level so families get that best customer service. Mm-hmm. Two, we talked about uh, student achievement, making sure that, you know, when we start talking about executing a performance, we're measuring it by data, we're judging that, we're getting kids to, to look at their work, helping to support parents and getting teachers to help support kids around making sure they learn what they need to learn. And then the third thing we talked about a lot is employee development, right? We have to have high-functioning um, employees to help execute on that, right? It can't be about who you knew or your friends or all that, you know. You know, just like me in the job, I tell folks, if I'm measured by performance, everybody else should be measured by performance. If I'm measured on how I make sure the system work off customer service, then everybody else should be measured off customer service. I mean, it's a holistic approach system that holds all of us with not only high accountability, but also high support systems for that. And then from there, you create your organization accordingly. And you also make sure that the, the, it's connected to kids uh, having um, um, a connection to economic viability, right? We're a city that's growing. Um, there are a lot of opportunities. We have a lot of industries that want high-functioning kids with jobs. I mean, we're the, we're the second largest in the state of Louisiana. There's no reason why we cannot be the it district across across our state. Um, and, and I think that, you know, it, it's a matter of uh, mindset shift and more important, a matter of executing. I think, you know, I'm always in the space of, as board member Lance will tell you, I like to take action, right? We didn't have a facilities review. I said, hey, let's just get that done. When we have a new plan, let's just go ahead and do it. I think the time for us to continue to keep talking about what we think should happen or why kids can't do it, those days are over. Because uh, you're losing uh, kids, push, as he said. We, we, we don't have time for that. Every day that we have those conversations, kids are losing, right? And and I think right now, I think what I'm excited about is the commitment that I've seen now and the board has taken, but also the community um, and even the mayor's office, all of us saying we're going to work together in our post-secondary institutions, that we're going to be pushing together and the community folks that we're going to get this thing right. And, yes, it's going to feel like things that you either have never done before, but it's okay. It is okay because... The formula of failure does not work. Correct. <laughs> right. No reason for us to sit here. You would think that's common sense. Dwelling on the right. past. Right. Or even I tell folks even talking about the past. Right. Right. And so that's why I always tell folks. To me, it's a it's a new Baton Rouge, a new East Baton Rouge school district, and I, I want us to be the choice for everybody. Whether you live in the north side of town, mid city, south side of town, wherever your neighborhoods are in community, mm-hmm. we should be able to have families say when they choose us. They feel like they're getting the best education, best service, and we're producing some of the best quality students in the country. Well, I, look, I appreciate uh, the information and the work that y'all have done and, and, and the passion. I do want, and I think I, I mentioned this to, uh, to Darius uh, last week when we were at TV, and I'll mention it to you. I know I want to do kind of like a, either at the end of December or the beginning of January, kind of do a, a halfway mark of how we've done this year mm-hmm. and then the goals for yeah. the second half of the 21-22 school year mm-hmm. and then revisit mm-hmm. today. But I want to end with asking you this, you both this question. And let me say this first. I believe the business community has to step up in real action to support the public school system, mm-hmm. right? And you had a lot of business guys there. Do you feel like they're ready for buy-in? And I mean all the way in, honestly. I think they are. I I, 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 I strongly think they are. Okay. Like I think that the things they said, the way that they expressed it, the body language, 
you know, you get you you have discernment over understanding yeah. like when somebody's serious about a thing, right. right? Right. But they're ready to bring it here. Like a lot of those programs, as I said earlier, can be replicated here. They have a marine biology school. Guess what? We have a water campus right here. Right. So you know, at, at, at LSU, mm -hmm. you know, when you talk about uh, right there on Scott's Bluff, you have Scotlandville High School right, right there. You know, we have several different opportunities. Right. Where we can make things happen out there in Northeast. When you think about, like, let's think about in terms of like agriculture, right? Mm -hmm. We can build unique partnerships with our local uh, 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 higher institutions. Mm -hmm. We can do that. Right. But we have to first get the vision in order to do that. I think for far too long, people have just been comfortable with the uh, status quo yeah. because they feel like everybody that's come before them before, they just say this thing and nothing changes. But we've never given them a vision of what change looks like. Right. Outside of the normal change, you know, right? Besides hiring and firing a new person. That's right. change for a lot of people. Well, you got somebody in there now, so not change going to come. No. Change is proof in the pudding. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's proof in the work. It's proof in your actions. Yeah. One of the first things Dr. Narcisse did when he came here is he went to the juvenile detention center. Now, you know what the people told us when he came back? He said, I mean, they said, we hadn't seen the superintendent here in like five years. That's the first thing he did <laughs> once he got here. Right. Not only that. He took CARES Act dollars and he infused it at the juvenile detention center. So at least they can get a quality education right. while they're there. Right. Like, you know, things like that mean something. To get them out of that process. Correct. I love that. Doc, final thoughts about the business community buying in. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think that uh, the business community has um, ready to step up. And, they, and I would also say there has been a lot of business folks who say, hey, they're ready for this change. I mean, I think we have to keep pushing and executing. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, I also think it's a responsibility for us that we want our city to grow even more, uh, which it is. Um, and uh, I just feel like, you know, I, I, so far it has been wonderful in the sense that, you know, uh, we've had a lot of partners that have been pushing up. As you know, we're working a lot with the Talent Action Committee, Workforce Development. And I just think, you know, um, I feel like, you know, getting us to continue to stay on the right path is really important. And, um I feel like we're, we're moving in the right, in the right direction. Uh, but you know, like, uh, like uh, I always uh, like the line where the, uh, the Miami superintendent shared with all of us and said, you know, he said, no one, um, you know, it's time to take action now. And he gave us an example of a of an airplane. He says, nobody's taking off on when you're taking off in an airplane. Nobody tells the pilot to slow down to take <laughs> off. Correct. He says they accelerate, accelerate, yeah, <laughs> right? That's a bad idea. <laughs> and Correct. I, and I think right now for us to take off in Baton Rouge, we need to. You know, do what, what planes do, accelerate up to take off, right? And I think the time is now for that. And I think the business community, uh, I think our community partners, I think the mayor's offers, all our government agencies get that. And I think the time is now. So when I post secondary. I, I think we have to also break down those divisions and divides we have in our community, right? When you think mm -hmm. about the business community, it's like it's always an odds between labor and business. Mm hmm. And you know who's affected the most? The community in the middle, right? right? So I think mm -hmm. at the time of our critical. A time in our community where we have to bring everybody together. That means business has to sit down with labor. Right. Labor has to sit down with business, and everybody comes together with our community stakeholders and say, "Okay, look, y'all, we have a blank, a blank canvas. Let's redraw everything. Let's go do it." Yeah. And I think that's just the, the common place we have to be at. It can't be they're coming with demands and they're coming to, with demands because guess what? You get a little done with that level of compromise. But if everybody comes in with a blank canvas, we start everything from scratch and everybody gets a, a, a piece or can play a part in how success looks for our community as a whole. 
That's very well said. That's a good place to end. I uh, I had a notion, Doc, to play Cuban music on the way out, but nah. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'm, 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 I'm not going to tempt fate at all. I got to walk out of here. So. <laughs> they say my new name is the Hip Breaker, so you know, I accept it. I accept it. Listen, yeah, so, yeah. so we'll do this again before the year is over. Doc, you're welcome anytime. You know that, Darius. Come on. You know, any any time and every time. But I do want to do a mid-year update on the school year and have both of y'all Absolutely. on it. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. The only interactive podcast in the capital city that lets you help solve a crime. There was a shooting. Okay, is someone shot? Yes, someone is shot. The Crime Stoppers podcast with Clay Young. Just some suspicious people running through the parking lot before. Real stories. It was my first love. Real crimes. Real people. Real justice. (laughs) The Crime Stoppers podcast with Clay Young exclusively at podcast225.com. Expecting mothers and fathers? Family Rose Healthy Start Community Action Network wants you to stay healthy as we deal with the reality of COVID-19. Here are five tips to help you and your unborn baby. Keep prenatal visits to ensure good health of you and your baby. If you need help, Family Road Healthy Start has case managers who provide one-on-one support and is enrolling expecting mothers and fathers now. Stay safe by washing your hands before or after any encounter. You, your family, and children should wear masks in public. Pregnant moms, stay home if possible. If not, limit all outings and keep any additional family members, such as your children, home. Stay informed by getting all current information on COVID-19 from trusted resources. And finally, stay prepared in the event you may develop symptoms or test positive for the coronavirus. For additional information, visit womans.org. To enroll in Family Road Healthy Start, call 201-8888 and give your baby and family a healthy start. We'll get through this together. This is real life. Unfiltered, uninterrupted, and on demand. You're listening to The Clay Young Show. Shame on Darius for breaking that woman's hip. (laughs) We'll never live that down. Never, ever, ever, ever. Hey, I saw him yesterday evening. And that's all we could talk about. <laughs> that was a strong conversation with the superintendent. And as he called him, board member Lannis. Who's next man up around these parts. So we appreciate it. Thank you guys for joining us for another edition of the Clay Young Show. Here at podcast225.com, also on the iHeartMedia app. You can also check it out on iTunes, download it in that podcast app section there. And if you're around the Baton Rouge area, they play it on weekends here on Talk 107.3. Man, I enjoy these. Also, if you hadn't had a chance to, check out the TV show. It's on WBRZ+. Plus. It airs on WBRZ.com live, too, if you're in another part of the country at 7.30 p.m. Central Time and repeats on Saturday at 2 and 2.30 p.m. Central Time. You could also check out the YouTube channel for the Clay Young TV show. I'm just really hitting a sweet spot of wanting to get content about things happening in business and the community to you and enjoying the hard work and everything that's going into it. It's been fun. Not to mention the fact that I've been hosting the 21st Century Business Forum, which is an online subscription-based interview show 
with the heads of Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 companies, some of the best and brightest business minds in the country are on that show, one of which is a guy that started the business networking group, the BNI groups, Dr. Ivan Meisner. That, that show is up right now. That conversation is up right now. And next month, Junior Bridgman, oh man, he was my favorite. Former NBA player, now worth over a, a half a billion dollars and just built it with hard work. What an amazing man, and I enjoyed the conversation. So that's next month. If you haven't signed up yet, sign up for the 21st Century Business Forum. All over the place, and I'm not tired yet. Catch you next week on The Clay Young Show here at podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.